I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused people from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my fantastic co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. Rossi, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Yeah. We oh, we had a really weird thing happen yesterday. My really? wife was going to yeah, my wife was going to the the post office to drop something off, and uh, on her way there. There's a intersection. It's a really crowded intersection near the place where the mailbox place was, uh, and they're on their way there. And like this is the, the road's completely covered in ice because it's Canada in winter, and that'll happen. Uh, and so you know, she and her mother go through, and at one point they actually have to like they almost lose control of their car, and they they skid on this intersection. On the way back out, they see a puppy, like four or five month old puppy. It's got a a collar on, but it doesn't have any tags running back and forth across the street. Ooh. So my wife, like they pull over, my wife opens the door and the dog just runs into the car. Okay. Yeah. So she brings it home, hangs out here for like an hour before animal control can come. Sweet little guy. Uh, my dog hates him. Yeah. Hates him on sight. Uh, and she's usually really pro dog. She usually loves to see other dogs, but doesn't want this dog in her house. Oh my God. No cats are also not tremendously receptive. Puck tried to start some, uh, to put it mildly. Yeah. And so, but like he liked me, so I was okay with him, but, but we had to call a, you know, animal control. Cause you know, we didn't have tags, but he might've had a chip or something. We don't know. So we wanted to make sure he got back to his people. Cause I mean, they had a collar on, so obviously he was somebody's dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Probably just got out or, or something. Don't know. But yeah, so that was our yesterday. And since then the dog has just been like, Marina has just not been happy. Yeah. Not been happy at all. <laughs> Yeah, I just can not. That. So yeah, yeah. My but, yeah, uh, he's a beautiful dog. Um, he's like they 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 estimated he was like four to five months, which meant he's going to be huge, because he was already muscly as heck and he was already like twice Marina's size. So yeah, 
were, were thinking they, they they thought he was a staffy. They actually said on the website that they they, they thought he was a staffy crossed with a, a corgi. And I'm sitting there looking at the legs, going, "Those are not corgi legs." <laughs> I don't know where you're getting corgi from. <laughs> There's nothing about this dog that says corgi. Nothing. Super long legs, extremely muscular. Uh, you know, very pit bull head. Not nothing. You're not jowly, like nothing jowly about him either. Because my, my mother-in-law was like, maybe he's a great Dane. I'm like, no, nothing great Dane about this dog. But they're a beautiful, beautiful dog. That actually reminds me of a story of uh, when my wife went back to California to visit her family. And um, her father and stepmother uh, were out doing something. And uh, they found a – because they were going through like this school area and school areas in California are like super busy as far as like traffic goes, especially when school's letting out and letting in. It was right, right about the time where school was letting out. And there was this gigantic dog, uh, just running around like right outside there. And my, the wife's stepmother is like a huge animal person. So she like forced, you know, uh, the father-in-law to like pull over and like, get out of the car and then like she's and she's like a tiny tiny person this dog was bigger than her uh just tried to wrangle this thing got it into the car turns out it was a great dane puppy and it was already the size of like a pony uh so they decided to name it thor uh and she really wanted to keep it but they already had three dogs at the time uh so they found like a an animal rescue in the area to take care of it uh, and it was like a animal rescue that was specialized in large breeds of everything turns out the animal rescue was run by burt ward uh and for those of you at home that don't know who burt ward is uh, if you ever watched the 1960s batman tv show or or the movie uh he played robin so that was kind of a random thing where i get to hear from her uh her dad that he got to meet burt ward because they rescued a dog so dog stories they're fun you know what's also fun talking about blizzard games and lore and we got some questions, some that we didn't get to last time, some new ones from this time. But before we get into that, I do want to take a moment to sort of highlight that right now we are in a bit of a Patreon drive. And we do appreciate everybody that is supporting us on Patreon. Uh, but right now we are a little bit behind of our goal to have weekly lore watches. We've fallen a little bit below that. So if you are a fan of lore watch, you like this content and, and you want to keep hearing us weekly... Now's the time. Uh, if you're listening to the, the this after release, consider tossing something on Patreon. It's only 3 bucks a month if you want to get early access to it. Uh, if you're at the $3 level, maybe consider going up to the $5 level uh, so we can keep doing this weekly for you. Now that I've given you my elevator speech, elevator speech and pitch, hopefully, uh, hopefully you don't think too less of us, but <laughs> we're going to get into the good stuff that I know you're all are waiting for. So our first question comes from Bruce. Hi, Joe and Matt. This is an unserious question suitable for any week you've got some time to fill on either podcast. Well, I think this is a good good occasion for it. Blizzard decrees that there will be a Blizzard universe. Every game they currently publish will be part of the Master Cosmology derived primarily from one of those games. Being sensible, they've come to you to make the decision, uh, design decisions that implement this policy. What game do you pick to provide the Master Cosmology, and how does others fit into it? I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I, I want to hear it. Go for it, man. Well, I'd use Heroes of the Storm. I mean, it's it's easy. Heroes of the Storm basically allows you to have all the other games exist in their own universes and just cross into Heroes of the Storm whenever you want to have a crossover. It's sort of perfect because you create you 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 make heroes basically the quote unquote nexus of all realities, and then you just have say you want to have. 
the Warcraft universe where Thrall went over to the Legion. That's that's there already. They have a Thrall from that universe. They have that skin. So you just, you know, that's there. It's essentially like back when DC used to have the infinite multiverse. It's like that, except you have like a, a place like the Rock of Infinity from the Shazam stories that, that can be between all realities. And because it's between all realities, it's not affected by like something that affects a specific, you know, setting or universe. So if they, they if something weird happens with Starcraft, it doesn't have to affect anything else. So yeah, I, I I do that. Yeah, and I think I think that Heroes of the Storm was almost like a to put it in comic terms, and we've talked about this before, Heroes of the Storm to me was more like the what if uh universe, sort of like what if this happens with X character and here's this thing that doesn't matter and it's non canonical. But I think in the context of Bruce's question, uh, I think he's asking more if it were to be canonical, like they were going to tie everything together more than just a what if. If you were to have a piece of it, what would it be? And I think for me, it would actually be StarCraft. And there's a reason why for this. And I I know people haven't heard me talk about StarCraft a whole lot. I do love the story of StarCraft. I love the idea of it. I like how things go in it. And it's yes, some of it's a little formulaic and it's very space opery, but so what? It's fun. But there's something that I always wanted to do with this ever since way back in the day. There was this weird hidden secret this was this this uh easter egg in warcraft 3 where you could find a mutalisk or no it was a hydralisk yeah uh and you could actually find one and fight it and it was in the game and i always thought wouldn't it be fun if they did something kind of like what games workshop tried to do way back in the day and then backed out on which was the fantasy world and the high adventure or high fan sci-fi world were actually the same universe. Just the fantasy world happened to be a small planet or one planet at the far reaches of the universe. And I thought to myself, that would be interesting. Like what would it look like if the Titans had touched things in the Starcraft universe? What if the ancients that created, you know, the, the races of the Starcraft universe were actually Titans or Titan forged creatures that, yeah, they did this a long time ago. We don't know how big the universe could be, and they could be out there, separated maybe by cosmic storms or on the other side of the Great Black Divide. And I always thought that would just be kind of funny to, to at one point see, you know, Thrall interacting with Kerrigan or have those moments where Sargeras is like, wow, we uh, we should have probably blew that one up instead of worrying about Azeroth. Huh. Well, this came back to bite us in the butt. Like, I just always thought that would be interesting to sort of have that juxtaposition. And we talked about so that. You're reminding me of how the Ultimate Games had the Wing Commander Easter mm-hmm. eggs in them. Yeah. Like the Kelrathi Starfighter and so forth. But yeah, I, I would. I still think I would probably use Heroes of the Storm to do it because that way you don't have to have them actually be in the quote unquote same universe. So that if they do something really out there with StarCraft, it doesn't have to affect Warcraft. Sure. That's the thing. That's the reason I don't want to necessarily have them all be in quote in the exact same universe, but I still want to, if you want to still have them be in like a broader meta textual, you know, meta universe or whatever, I would use heroes to do it. That's how I would do it. Yeah. So. Which is totally, totally viable and obviously valid. I, I can see that. I don't know. Hopefully that answers a little bit of that, Bruce. I'd be interested to hear what you would do with that or what piece you would want to bring to that, that sort of puzzle. And those of you listening at home, let us know, hit us up. 
Our next question. So this is a meta question about how elves are written. It seems like even though they live for thousands of years, they're still affected by the same emotions and drives as the short-lived races. This is different from how extremely long-lived people are often portrayed in fiction. It's usually assumed that their emotional rage lessens as life becomes dull. Example, elves in Lord of the Rings or the multifires in Peter Hamilton's Commonwealth series. Uh, I would assume that the Methuselahs from... Uh, Altered Carbon also are in there as well. Uh, do you think it is a deliberate choice on the writer's part to make Warcraft's elves like this, or did they not think it through? And this is from Aless of the, uh, sorry, Alessof the Belf Pally. What do you think? Do you think your dog thinks you're some kind of weird, ageless being that doesn't have emotions? Probably not. But you'll live like ten or more times longer than your dog. Like your dog if your dog even understood mortality it would be astonished at the idea of how long you'll live but during that whole time you're going to have emotions mm -hmm. you're going to have feelings you're going to have wants and desires i've never understood why living a thousand years means i don't feel anything anymore i think it's because we look at the amount of suffering we go through in our lives and we think holy god how do they how would they possibly hold on when, you know, just getting old, I'm in my 50s and it's just, my God, this is killing me. And I I, I think that's an, it's an interesting assumption that we make, but I don't think it needs to be the only way to deal with very old beings in fiction. And it's something that I find kind of annoying, actually. The idea that, you know, just because they're going to live, so they, they could live so much longer than you, that means they're going to, they're not going to feel much of anything. First off, I don't even like the trope this group doesn't feel much. It's never really worked for me in the first place. It's one of the reasons I don't like uh, Vulcans in Star Trek. And yeah, you can go ahead and get mad at me now, but I've never liked, I think the Vulcan culture is one of the crappiest things just to grow up in. It would it's, be hell. It's dull. Like, it's not just dull. It would be painful because they have emotions. Mm -hmm. They just, just suppress them. them. And they have an entire culture about ruthlessly suppressing their emotions. Try and actually do that and you'll die. That will kill you. Like your body will poison you with stress chemicals if you try and do that kind of crap, but it's fiction. So whatever I, I just, I'm perfectly fine with elves or any other long lived beings like the Draenei, the Draenei who, you know, some of the Draenei have been around for thousands of years. Um, some of them remember Argus, you know, there's, there's like one guy who actually, you know, I was born on the ship, but my mother used to tell me about Argus when we left. Think about how old that dude is. They've been on the run for 25,000 years, you know? Um, so I, I'm okay with long-lived beings still having feelings and emotions and things they care about. I think it makes for more interesting stories. Does, do I think that they did that on purpose? No, uh, because almost nothing in Warcraft was done on purpose. This is a franchise that evolved from the first game. Uh, I don't think there even are elves in the original Warcraft, but I don't remember. I know there are elves in Warcraft 2. Uh, because they're main characters, like, you know, Alaria is a main character in Warcraft 2. She's very much present in that game. But it, it's just one of those things where the entire Warcraft setting, everything in it, is to some degree a happy accident. Like, there's a lot of stuff, I mean, there's stuff that they was put in deliberately. Um, there's obviously, like, the Night Elves were created deliberately in Warcraft 3. But the idea of the Warcraft setting as a cohesive fictional universe is not accurate. Um, I don't know how else to put it. It, it. This is this is a setting that conglomerated. It it came together piecemeal. 
Uh, it, a lot of stuff is borrowed. Um, if you look at the Titan stuff, that's very Jack Kirby. Yep. Uh, and if you look at like the, the night elves, they're drow. It's like the, the people at Blizzard took drow and basically said, well, what if they weren't evil? What if they were like super elves? What if they were even elfier? Instead of just being like, instead of them being the bad drow, bad elves, what if they were like just more elf than the previous elves? And that that's, you know, it's a different take, but it's still inspired by like World of Warcraft is not a super unique setting. It, it in very I'm very fond of this about it. It feels very much like I'm I'm getting to play an MMO set in somebody's home D and D campaign sometimes, and I, I like that about it. I like that it has like it's like it's got a lot of tropes that you'd expect from that kind of upbringing. It's not trying to be original. It's not trying to be like you know earth shakingly new. It's not Dark Sun. It's not the World of Athos. It's trying to be like just concentrated fantasy stuff. It's got like you know every weird thing we can throw in, space gods and weird old gods and all sorts of stuff. It's all in there. But I don't think, I don't think the elven approach to life in this setting was done on deliberately. I just think it works better for this setting. Yeah, and I, and I tend to agree. And and that's the thing that I think a lot of people have to sort of realize is that World of Warcraft was born from Warcraft, which was born from essentially the guys getting together and playing D&D back in the day. Like, this is a group of people that played Magic the Gathering and D&D at their office and just said, this would be cool if we did this, and then did it. Or picked characters that they played a long time ago and just turned them into NPCs or turned them into story beats. And that's not a bad thing. Like, how many of us have done that over the course of time where we've taken characters or stories that we've played with our friends and turned them into, you know, something else? I know there are books that are born that way. There, there's tons of things that are born that way. But that means that everything that's happened here isn't exactly a perfectly planned, like, timeline. It's not like the storyboard that they've been planning for 20, 30 years. It just kind of happened. But like Matt, I, I really like that about it because it feels more organic in that way. And one of the things I've never really liked is I've never liked that trope of, you know, we live forever like vampires and, and Methuselahs and we just have no moral compass anymore. So instead of having a moral compass, we just feel nothing and, and all this other stuff. It's such a, a weird trope that like it, it's based off the idea that if you live so long that you're just going to have so much tragedy that you can't possibly feel anything. And I never liked that, but I think it also informs the current design of the elves when the elves started coming into the game. And if you look at Warcraft three, they were separate for a very, very long time. Even like in Warcraft two, they were archers. That was pretty much it. And then when Warcraft three happened, they started actually integrating with society again. And that's something that a lot of these other races that you talk about, like, you know, from Commonwealth or Lord of the Rings that they, they separate themselves from society. They lack that sort of, you know, humanity and the ones that do interact regularly, even in, in Lord of the Rings, when they interact with people other than elves themselves, when they're not isolated anymore, they feel, they act, they react. I mean, how many elves had those anger outbursts or, you know, um, El what is her name? Elwin? I can't remember her name now, but you know, Elrond's daughter, you know, has love and affection and cares and all this. And even Legolas shows that because they're interacting with people. They're not isolated anymore. And that's sort of what happened here naturally in the story of how they sort of evolved things. Elves stopped isolating themselves. 
So yeah, they're going to have anger. They're going to have fears and loves and emotions, and they're going to be part of that because they're part of that. They have those things to deal with and they're around it all the time. And I wanted you to think about yourself. If you lived an existence where you interacted with literally nobody, you'd probably have a very bad handle on your emotions. You probably wouldn't be able to express yourself as accurately as you, you would want to. But as you are around more people, you start to get more like emotional knowledge, I guess would be the best way to put it. Like you, you're, you start to realize how to express things. That's how we grow up. That's how we do things. And it sort of fits here with the elves, I think better in the setting because they're around people. They're not just isolated. They're not just this trope. Well, we live for 10,000 years, so nothing matters. Let's just get drunk and, you know, do whatever it's, they actually care. They actually have feelings and it fits so much better than any of those other things. So that's my personal take on it. And, I, and like I said, I think it was an accident that just sort of happened through the natural natural evolution of their storytelling. Yeah, when this all started, they were trying to make a, war, a, a Warhammer game. Yes, they, they actually were originally the original, had a license with GW. Yeah, they were trying to make a Warhammer game. And then at the last minute, Warhammer was like, nah, we don't want you to do that. So they were like, well, we already have this Elk Fork versus Human game we were making. I guess we're just going to rebrand it. And that's where war, that's where Warcraft comes from. You know, it's 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 just the fact. Funnily, funnily enough, same um, with StarCraft. Yeah, yeah, to a degree. It, it was it was originally pitched as uh, when Warcraft was being done. The, the original idea for it was the same thing, and look how that evolved. So you know, I mean, it's just one of those things where a lot of this stuff isn't really planned out. It just it just happened. So you really can't look at it and say, you know, was this the plan? It's like no, uh, almost never. <laughs> it was almost never the plan. But, you know, and I, but I, like I said, I think that's what I like about Warcraft and why I've loved it so much over these years is because it's just this is the way things evolve. So they just kind of go with it. It's not this hard, fast, you know, we've planned out 15 years of story. It's this is where kind of the story went. This is where it just kind of led us. And they kind of go with it, which is it's one of those nice organic things. And I really appreciate that about how they craft their story. And you can feel that you can see that. All right, our next question is, is there a way that the Horde could be rearranged so that they would be less Horde? I mean, they keep killing everyone around them and starting wars, but is there a way that the Horde could be stacked that would make them less of the Horde? Do we need to remove orcs from the Horde altogether? Should it be a monarchy under Thunderbluff? How could the Horde be structured, rearranged, so that it would stop being the root of all conflict? Follow-up, how could the Alliance be made to be irrational, bloodthirsty warmongers? Uh, and this is from 5,999 plus one. Interesting username. Go for it. What do you think? He also goes by 6,000 sometimes on our site. Possibly. Um, I'm going to be up front. I have been, over the years, about as disenchanted with the Horde as you can get. But I don't think it would serve the game or the people who like to play Horde to just make them not be the Horde anymore. I don't think that's... To a certain degree, it really depends on when you came to the Warcraft property. I'm going to have to use the word property. Mm -hmm. um, it depends on when you came to it, that how you think about the Horde. If you were playing Warcraft back in the day when Warcraft came out, the first game, you have a view of the Horde. 
if you played from Warcraft 2 or, or, you know, then again, you'll have a different view of the Horde. Warcraft 3 really changes the Horde. Drastically. Oh, yeah. Warcraft, the Horde from Warcraft to Warcraft 3, very different group. And I'm going to say this one now. And this might upset some people, but I want you to think about it and, and listen before you, you jump on me. The Horde we have right now is not the Horde from 2004. The Horde from original World of Warcraft is not the Horde you have right now. They are different groups. I mean, the, the Horde from Warcraft, from the original World of Warcraft, is an orcish organization with some trolls and Tauren as friends, and the Forsaken as the dodgy guys that the Tauren kind of convinced the, the orcs to let sleep on the couch. That's the Horde as of 2004. Look at the Horde in 2020. The most powerful group in it is probably still the Forsaken right now. But they're also the most disorganized group. The Tauren, Trolls, Orcs, they're they're all there, and they're still relatively powerful, but what about the Blood Elves? Do you ignore the Blood Elves? The Blood Elves have seemed to be on a resurgence kick for the last couple of expansions. They brought in the, the Nightborn, so now the, the Blood Elves have a very powerful ally in the group. They're relatively well cemented. In addition, we've also got the Maghar Orcs. We've got um, the Xandalari Trolls, who are a power block in their own right, and who are not going to be told what to do by anybody. Um, in addition to those groups, uh, we've we've got the Pandaren there. There's a there's a group of Pandaren that joined the Horde. Um, I know there's more. There's the the, the High Mountain Tauren who are adding to the the the, the Tauren ranks, and if they have their own civilization, their own customs and cultures. It's just, the more you look at it, the, the, the Horde now is so different than the Horde of, of 2004. It, it is changed drastically. It already isn't that Horde. So when you say make them less the Horde, do you want them to be less aggressive? Because the aggression is the way that they've always approached the world. And for all that it has very much caused a lot of problems for the people of Azeroth, it's also kept them going. Like, they had no resources. Yep. At the, at the beginning of World of Warcraft, they had practically nothing. Had the, they continued in that way, they might have starved to death by now. It's very hard to not look at what Garrosh Hellscream did. You know, yes, he overreached. Yes, he provoked a worldwide war. Yes, he was a warmonger. But he did provide for his people in a way Thrall was not prepared to do. You, you can't divorce these aspects. The Horde is all of them. That, this is one of the things I've been thinking about a lot in terms of other things. And I do want to stop for a bit and let Joe talk. But I think that that's a, a thing to think about is what is the Horde in the first place? What makes the Horde what it is? Before you can think about changing it, you have to look at how it's already changed. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a really important point. We talk about this, uh, I don't want to say a lot, but we do talk about this fairly often, which is where the Horde is now and where it is currently changing and the story being told. And this sort of ties in with the, the previous question as well, right? The story has been evolving sort of organically, and so has the Horde over all of these years. Yes, there was this absolute warmongering 
you know, horde where they wanted to go to war and, and they were trying to take the fight to the humans and take this world because their world was dying and they were driven by demon lusts and all this other stuff. That was years ago. We're, we're talking almost 20 years ago, if you want to count the RTSs, which I do. And then you look at where they are now with Sylvanas being removed from the position of war chief with them now starting to try to go to a council system in which they can try to have equal representation across all of their factions so that there's not just one in control of everything. And not only that, but now let's look at the Kalia Menethil stuff. And we talked about this a few times. When Lillian Voss goes to her and wants her to take over the Forsaken, there's a lot of things behind that that affect this in particular, too. One, she is essentially from the monarchy that was part of the alliance. She understands how that works, even if it's a little outdated, sure. But she still understands how to run a court, how to run an alliance, how to be sort of that, I don't want to say that that royal figure, but who else in the horde before her really had that? Everyone, I mean, you had a chief that isn't the same thing as a king, not even remotely close. You had a war chief who is essentially more a grand general than anything else. And that position, you know, has evolved into taking care of people as opposed to I'm going to tell you how to take, you know, this army and this ridge and, and all this other stuff. You had somebody who was just fighting for the survival of his people, but was more of a priest than a king and was more trying to guide them than, you know, really do anything when you had Vol'jin. Every single person in the Horde until now doesn't understand how to sort of, they never understood how to, I don't want to say rule, but they never knew or understood how to manage outside of a warframe. The people that are now in charge do, at least a little bit more than they used to. So that warmongering, that hatred, that, you know, we're going to cause every problem. Yeah, that might die down a little bit. And I think uh, I think uh, Kalia is going to add to that. She's going to help temper that a little bit. She's going to be, look, this is how we, we deal with everybody. This is how we get everybody the same voice. Look, I've, I grew up learning how to do this. Let me help. That's her mentality. That's been her thing this entire expansion is let me help. She's going to. You have Lothamar, who he's tired of fighting. He's He's flat out said it. He's tired of war. And he just wants his people to thrive. And that's why we've seen sort of a resurgence in the Blood Elves and why he's been reaching out, why why he made such a big deal of standing up for, you know, the Nightborn. It wasn't because they're just elves. It was, these are people. These are my people. I don't care. These these are these are my cousins. You're starting to see this evolution of these characters. So I think that's already happening. I think that the Horde is already starting to temper. And are, are there going to be people that cause problems? Are there going to be loyalists that still go out there and... You know, Doblin, Sapper, uh, uh, Alliance Outpost, probably. There's always going to be conflict there because it's it's vast and big and there's a bunch of people. They're not going to be able to account for everything. Do I think that it will largely subside? I think they're already leaning the story that way. Now, that's my, my take on it. And I think Rossi made the good point of you have to look at the evolution of it, where it started and where it's come from. I mean, I would go so far as to say even the horde from a couple years ago isn't the horde we have now. And it's not a bad thing. It's just the natural evolution of the story and those characters and where it's going. And I think it's already starting to come back to the thing where it doesn't necessarily have to be a monarchy under Thunderbluff. It doesn't have to necessarily be completely restructured because it's already going through that a little bit. And I think that maybe they're not going to be rude of all conflict. Yeah, they're still going to have things that, 
domino effect that things that they that happened that the horde caused years and years and years ago are going to still come back and bite them in the butt. I mean, we still have Sylvanas running around and Tyrande isn't very happy. So, yeah, sure, there's still going to be plenty of conflict that's already been generated, but maybe they won't generate much more in the new new way of like war travesty. Who knows? So now the second part of that, what do you think about the Alliance side? Well, I mean, I'm not too big on the Alliance becoming irrational warmongers. That's not something I think really fits their story. Uh, but the problem is, is that there's plenty of rational reasons for the Alliance to become warmongers right now. Um, there's there's plenty of reasons for the Alliance to simply not accept the Horde's statement that, that they this is a real peace. Because every time in the, in the past forever that the Horde and Alliance have come into conflict, there's been a peace. Um, there was a peace after Warcraft 2, where the, the, the quote-unquote Horde of the time was stuck in camps. And mm-hmm. that was supposed to be the end of it. And it didn't end it. In Warcraft 3, the end, the, the humans, elves, orcs, Tauren, trolls, you know, they all made common cause and fought back the Legion and Mount Hyjal, and that didn't end anything. They just kept going. Uh, the war has the war keeps being put to the end, and then it keeps going. If you are a night elf right now, why would you buy what they're selling. And it's not that the Night Elves want to just keep waging eternal war. Uh, look at, like, Chandris. Chandris took her peep, led, led a Night Elf in group. There were plenty of Night Elf archers uh, when Anduin joined up with Sarfang. There were plenty of Night Elves there helping that end that. But that doesn't mean you're going to trust the Horde because we trusted them and they burned down Teldrassil. They destroyed our home. Yep, they proved everything we've been saying about them, and the 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 night the blood elves and the nightborn were right in the thick of it. They helped them do it. If you go through the the Darkshore scenario, if you if you went through that zone when it was you know before Battle for Azeroth came out, there were plenty of blood elf paladins right there in the squads fighting, helping to conquer Darkshore. So, if you're the Alliance, you're at the point where. The Horde may sincerely be tired of war. You might have people like Lorthmar, like, you know, I don't want any more of this. They're like, you know, so what? Why are we going to listen to you? Why are we going to trust you? Mm -hmm. Why are we going to let you off the hook? No, we're going to wait until you're vulnerable, and then we're going to burn your city down and see how you like it. And, you know, from Lorthmar's perspective, he might be like, I already have had that happen. You know, that that has happened to me. You know, in my lifetime, an army of corpses marched their way through my city and killed. You know, it's and he's right, but it's not necessarily in a place where people are going to listen. And that's the thing. You don't have to do a lot to keep this conflict going. Yeah. And you don't have to do practically nothing to get some of the alliance to be the next ones to attack. Uh I think when Gen is kind of like trying to position himself as a voice of reason, you know, and Gen's focused on Sylvanas, I don't think that that's where Taronda is. For right now, she's focused on Sylvanas, but when that's over, there is very little chance of, of Taronda Whisperwind ever trusting the Horde again. There's never going to be like a thrall comes to my wedding again type situation. 
that's gone. Yep. And will the Alliance eventually attack? I almost think it is a certainty. It may not be. It certainly won't be something Anduin wants to do. But I don't. I think what we're going to end up seeing is that the Alliance, just as the Horde is becoming more unified to a degree, even though it's becoming unified through diversity, it's becoming unified by having more people's voices being heard. This is going to shake the Alliance apart because those people aren't going to be willing to be told what to do anymore. Like it doesn't matter. You know, the, the King of Stormwind is not going to be the one telling them what to do because he won't be able to. They won't listen to him. That's where I think we're going with the Alliance. And you're going to see them being more conflict-oriented by being an alliance, not a single nation. That's, that's the thing that the Alliance has been kind of forgetting this whole time, that it isn't a unified like nation state it's actually a group of them and that means sometimes that one of those nations can make its own decisions and it's really weird because somebody pointed this out to me that i had missed it i went back and, and caught up on it mechatork's back yeah i yes, said he that he was out. but mechatork's back and he's currently king of all gnomes yep like mecha gnomes and gnomes he is he has doubled his his rule in one go and he, he controls Nomergon and Mechagon now. And he has access to all sorts of technology that he didn't have yeah. before. And, I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to come around and just try and conquer the world or anything, but you can't just order him about. You know, he is he's a, he is a position of power. You have to actually respect him. And if he decided, you know what, I'm tired of the goblins and I want to go to, I want to take them out once and for all, and I'm going to go to... Uh, Kazan and just flatten the place. How do you stop him? I'm not saying he is going to do that. I'm saying, though, if he did, do you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of thing the Alliance is, is heading into. The Alliance is heading into a situation where the, the authority of a single leader do, extends no further than his nation. Like, Anduin may, be, Anduin may be right now in a position of not being able to keep his word. Yeah. He brokers a peace, but he can't actually enforce it. And that could be the most interesting story in terms of the alliance being warmongers. It's much less a chance. It's much less a case of the entire alliance, and much more a case of, well, the night elves are not going to accept a peace, or you know, the Gilneans are going to take back Gilneas, and they don't care. They're going to, you know, and what, right now, if the Gilneans have decided to take back Gilneas, what could stop them? What does the horde have? That could possibly stop them. They don't even have control over Lordaeron anymore. You know, they've lost the Eastern Kingdoms. The only the only holdout they have in the Eastern Kingdoms are the, are the Blood Elves. Yep. And those guys are completely surrounded. Like there's there's a lot that could happen that is basically the the, the fallout of this war is going to last a long time, and that's where I think you're going to get your alliance conflict from, not from them becoming un, you know unhinged drooling lunatics. But from them basically being like, what? Why wouldn't we take it back? You know, who cares what they think? And I think I, I think that's really important, right? Like, I think that's the really important thing that I think people, and because I've gotten this question a few times from folks, you don't have to be unhinged to be or, and be irrational and be bloodthirsty warmongers to have conflict, right? Like that doesn't have to be the basis for it. And the horde have done some incredibly unspeakable things even over the course of just this expansion 
And the Alliance, like you said, this is a point that I think a lot of people just sort of gloss over. They're not a unified people. They're not a unified nation under one rule. They were a group of allies. It's Alliance. It's there in the title that had a common goal. Well, those goals are starting to splinter. They're starting to look at different things. Tyrande doesn't want peace. And who can blame her for what happened, for, for what happened to her people, for what happened to her husband, for what happened to every time she thought there was going to be peace or argued for peace or was accepting of it. Every time it came back to bite her in the butt, she's done. She's hit her limit. She needs that vengeance. She needs that, that sort of closure. And she needs to have a reckoning for everything that's happened to her. And that's fine. And she's not doing it because she's irrational. She's not doing it because she's bloodthirsty. She's doing it because she's tired of being wounded. She's tired of being hurt. She's tired of her people hurting. She's tired of every time she tries to do, you know, the quote unquote high road or right thing. She just gets hit and hit I did, uh, and I hit. I did the, um, the quest, the intro into the Darkshore um the Warfront again. I did them on a new character because I hadn't done them yet on this character, my, my Death Knight of all things. And one of the things she says when she after she's become the Night Warrior is, "I spared Sorfang, and they burned Darn, and, and because of him, they burned Darnassus." Mm-hmm. She believes it's her fault. Oh yeah, it's her fault for having held back. It's her fault for having not killed Sorfang. And. And regret's a hell of a motivator. Like that you guilt. Think, yeah. <laughs> if you think that you, you, you know, I tried to be the peacemaker. I tried to be open-minded and my people burned. That's never going to happen again. It's I not a question let it happen of, again. Yeah. yeah. It's not a question of her being a warmonger. It's a question of how, you know, the, the problem here is that people don't really want to see it from the other aspect. Like it's it's very hard to like if you're playing one faction to look at the other faction and see why they feel the way they do. The horde feels the way they do because for like well over like from 2004 to like Cataclysm, they were basically being strangled. Mm-hmm. The alliance had control of all the resources, and then when the Cataclysm happened, it got even worse. And the only way to survive in the horde's uh, horde's view was to take them. Now, could they have traded for them? Maybe. Possibly, but it was, you know, it didn't end up working out. Now we're in a position where the Alliance looks at the Horde and says, they're just going to keep murdering us. There's no peace to be had. We can't trust them. Every time we negotiate, we, we had that whole deal in Pandaria, and we went to we went to Orgrimmar, and we, nego- you know, we, we left thinking, okay, we've dealt with the situation. And what happened? As soon as they switched War Chiefs back on the warpath. Yep. So, yeah, from your perspective, you as a player character, you see things differently because you get to see more in a way. But that's not the view everybody has. Well, And Taronda absolutely, you know, Gen, you, you're going to tell me Gen Greymate has any reason to trust the Horde? Oh, no. And I was actually, I was just about to talk about Gen, like, Greymane, you also have to take into account everything that he's been through. He lost his city. He watched his son basically be, you know, murdered and, you know, used as, uh, for lack of a better term, bait. Uh, He watched everything he loved get destroyed. He watched everything he loved almost get destroyed again 
uh, when the people that took him in and gave his his people shelter after the first tragedy of losing his home had their home burned to the ground and so many innocents died, almost lost his wife. And then all this time he's been being told that he's this bloodthirsty, warmongering murderer. Well, yeah, look what happened to him. Look, look what happened yeah. when he was forced out from his isolation. It goes back to like, you know, his role in war, in the second war. It goes all the way back. To, he didn't even want to be involved in that war. No, he did not. He's like, Gilneas can stand on its own. He was kind of nagged, dragged, you know, forced into it. So he sent a token force and then they wanted him to keep paying for like camps to, to hold the orcs indefinitely instead of just killing them. And he's like, why don't we just kill them? Why are we keeping them alive? What possible reason is there for us to be doing this? And Tyrannus wouldn't do it. So he finally just broke off. He's like, no, like, you know, there's the, there's the famous thing. He goes, you know, this is the last time I'll ever speak to you, Tyrannus. So I hope you were listening as he storms out. And that is the last thing he ever says to Tyrannus, who was his great friend. Mm -hmm. They were friends. And that's the, that is the last time they spoke. Tyrannus died while he had, you know, while Gen, and that's the other thing. Gen didn't just decide to wall off his people. He picked apart the, the place where he put the wall, left a good chunk of Gilneas outside of it. Yep. Silverpine wasn't part of Lordaeron. Silverpine was Gilnean. All that territory that's, you know, if you played through like a, a Forsaken and you went to Silverpine for your leveling, that's Gilneas. Oh, yeah. That was what? Uh, that ran cut off what the Pyrewood Village, Amber Mill, and. Yeah, it was Crowley. Yeah. It was yeah. Crowley's lands. That's yep. why Crowley threw a rebellion because he got, you know, his people got basically stripped of everything because Gen wanted to build a wall and that was the best place to build it. It was a natural, you know, cutoff point, but it didn't include all that territory. Like half, you know, all those lands that, that were Crowley's lands were left on the other side. That's why Crowley broke with Gen. Gen was that willing to cut himself off. He was that sure oh. it was the right thing to do. And not only that, but like that's the other thing that I think I forgot I completely forgot about until we started talking about it. Uh Crowley and Godfrey were the ones that wanted uh Greymane and Gilneans to join the Alliance in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they when were. he cut off the wall, they thought it was retribution for for that after there was like this open dispute between them about all of this stuff. But regardless, like Gen has enough the point I wanted to make with Gen is like he has a lot to recover from and to take back. And, you know, Rossi said this, and, and it's absolutely accurate. It's been on my mind, like, since we've had this this sort of, like, falling out with the Alliance is how long till he takes Gilneas back? How long till he says, I'm done with everything, Little King? You can do your state of, of, of unions or whatever you want to do and, and be this magnanimous leader. I'm going to go get my home back. And if you want to help me, great. If you don't, oh well. But I, this is priority. I need my lands back. I need my people to be in their homes again because we don't have a home right now. And we're not part of Stormwind. Because when we were had our first problem, we didn't live here. We lived with the elves. They took us in, not you. And yeah. that's that's also something to keep in mind, too. Like That's something that, that you, would have, you would have assumed that, oh, they're, you know... Humans, they're, even if they are worgen, they're still humans. And the Alliance would take them in. They didn't. No, Varian didn't even trust him. No, he absolutely did not. And that's the thing is, 
the the schisms in the alliance are going back decades, because when the Worgen decided, hey, we want to join rejoin the alliance, the humans of Stormwind were like, you, where were you when we needed you? Oh, right, you were hiding behind a wall. I don't see why we should put ourselves out for you. You didn't put yourselves out for us. We were rebuilding our city. Where were you? These are long-held divisions. The dwarves have always been about doing their own thing. Yep. The alliance was a miracle that it worked the first time. The fact that it's lasted this long on its second pull is practically like it's unheard of that they could manage to keep it going this long. And it's been keeping going this long, partially because groups like the night elves didn't have any really strong motivation to do anything about it. But now they do like my you know, my is, you know, my shadow song is in charge of the military. She's the leader of, of the, 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 the attacking force, the army mm-hmm. of the night warrior, the night, the dark moon or whatever it's called. Um, there's just there's a lot of stuff here. I mean, there's a lot of fracture points that that could be used to to break the alliance apart or change it in a way that it really hasn't changed. It's not that's the other thing. The horde has been changing continuously this whole time. It keeps changing and growing. The alliance just keeps adding people. Mm-hmm. Like the Draenei come in, the Draenei don't change anything. They just kind of watch. Uh, now with the. Uh, the, the Gilneans come in and they've basically just been acting like the, the, the backup to the Night Elves. Now they're finally starting to flex. They're finally starting to do stuff. Um, as for like the, the other allied races, the, the, the Colterans, with Jaina in charge of them, they're not going to be yes-men. They're, they're probably going to help Anduin for a while because Jaina and Anduin have a good relationship. But Jaina is very much done being told what to do by other people. Well, not only that, they have to recover from everything that happened in Battle for Azeroth, just like the Zandalari yeah. do. Like, yeah, Borealis got hit. Look at everything that happened with that. Look at all the resources they spent dealing with the conflict that was brought to their shores. Like, they're going to be busy for a while. They don't necessarily even have to... It, and that's the thing, like, with, like, Mechatork and with the call the Kaltirans... You don't have to have open defiance to have conflict. It can simply be, we can't help you right now. I got I, my own things to deal with. Like, it could yeah. just be pulling back. It could just be like, I'm not going to be there at your beck and call. You know, now the, the gnomes aren't just living in Normorgon anymore and they're, or, or uh, a part of a district in Ironforge. They have, an, they have a, a lost city. They have a massive city now where their people could live if they needed to. That's completely removed from the Alliance lands. So they don't have, they don't have to be there every day. Mechatork's got his own things to deal with. You know, he's got to root out any loyalists to the former King of Mechagon or who knows what's going to be there. Kaltirans have to rebuild. Uh, the dwarves have their own things to worry about. Like they always have had their own things to worry about. So yeah, they, like, you know, the next dwarven King is basically heir to both the dark iron and Bronzebeard thrones. How is that going to work? Yeah, like you how know, do you how do you finish unifying point, them? At this point, he's getting to the point where you actually start to start thinking about it. He'll be old enough to rule in like a few years. Yep. Does the council just step aside for him, or what does, does that, that look like? Or does he have an arranged marriage to uh, a daughter of the the Wildhammers? Or how is that going to play out? Is that going to cause conflict? There's so many different things that you can you can have that are already starting to happen. And again, this goes back to sort of that evolution of story over the years. Like the seeds are already there. We're already starting to see them begin to bear fruit. 
And not everything has to be bloodthirsty warmongers. Sometimes it's just doing the most unexpected thing, or sometimes it's just not being present. Like, if if Stormwind were to be besieged right this second by any force, I'm not sure they'd have a whole lot of help. Because there's so many other things going on, and that's a source of conflict right there. Where were you when my city was burning? Well, where were you when my city was burning? There's so many things that could happen there. And I think we are going to start to see it. Now, I've got one more question that I think will take us up to the end point here. And it's a good one. And I think it ties into a bunch of other stuff that we were talking about here. And this is from uh, Sintra Edrian. Question for the Lore Watch. Since it is the Lunar Festival right now, how might the appearance of the Ancients be in, in interaction with characters from the Shadowlands? After all, they are supposed to be deceased ancestors of various races returning to Azeroth to interact with living mortals. What do you think? Um, actually, you go first this time because I want to think about it more. So, I'm, I'm, one thing we we do know is from any of the shamanic quests, and even from some of the stuff that we used to see in Northrend during Wrath is that the Shadowlands, there is a layer of it that is very close to the, the, I'll just say the prime material plane, essentially. And that you can pierce the veil and see through that veil if you are so inclined. There is a bunch of shaman quests around it. There are a bunch of of world quests or, or regular story quests in Wrath about it where you cross over or you look through that veil and you see those spirits, whether they're relieving a memory of their former lives or you interact with them directly. At one point in time, it was canonical in game for Restoration Shaman to summon their ancestors from death to heal and protect at least a little bit the people they were trying to heal and protect. Like that was what they did. They called upon their ancestors to come forth and help them. And we didn't really see it in game, but it was there in the stories and the books and, and everything else. And so there's always been this sort of gray area where those spirits, those ancestors could reach out or reach across or be called to be, you know, pulled across at least for a little while. So I think that canonically speaking, it perfectly fits that ancestors that reside in the Shadowlands, regardless of what realm they may reside in, can touch the material plane. And whether it's through power or actually manifesting, we've seen it in the past. So maybe the Lunar Festival just happens at a particular time when that veil is thin enough for them to manifest without being called forth or through rituals or needing something special to be viewed. Maybe that's their their opportunity to look into it. And it reminds me very much, like the Lunar Festival reminds me very much of, of Dia de los Muertos and sort of like the story of that where that's the one day of the year where your family, your ancestors can cross over to spend time with their their family as long as they're remembered. And it's one of those things where I love that idea for a lot of reasons, but it seems rather apt here where these spirits that are tied to these people, these places come back this one time a year because it's the one time where like everything aligns and they're able to do so. And maybe that's how they spend their anima. Maybe that's how they burn it. Or maybe they get permission or or pulled resources from wherever they reside in the shadowlands or the afterlife, whatever you want to call it that allows them to move over. But I, I always sort of saw that as we've already had examples of how that's been being done for years and years in game and in story. Okay. Um, 
I think part of the problem I was having with this was that you said ancients in your question, mm -hmm. but you mean the elders. They do mean the elders. And not the actual ancients, because the ancients are like, you know, big, like, you know, wolf mod, wolf god things. <laughs> like, what does Galdrin have to do with the Shadowlands? I mean, I guess Galdrin. The thing is, is, we know the ancients die, and then they come back in much the same way that, you know, some of the Loa did. And that could possibly be related to it. Like, maybe we're going to see, you know, uh, oh, bloody heck, I can't remember his name. He's died like twice now. Scenarius. Like maybe Scenarius is gonna be in, in Ardenweald. Maybe that's gonna be like the part of the whole story. Like we don't know. So I, I was just sitting here trying to think about that. But no, you mean the elders. I think Joe's pretty much said everything I would say on that subject. Of like how come the elders like it could be as simple as they haven't actually accepted that they need to move on yet. And as long as there's people who like come and try and talk to them, they don't have to. Like, you know, it's for all that the the way the system works is that you know we apparently get recycled, they're just not ready to be recycled yet. I, I don't, but you know that's the kind of thing that we need to see more from Shadowlands before I can make a real decision. But I th I think the lore of the game is pretty. It's pretty established that there are various reasons why people can hang on, and even cross back over for like limited amounts of time. Besides, you know us, uh, doing it over and over again. So yeah, uh, I think. I think Joe pretty much nailed it. In terms of like where it's going to go, though, I think that's one of the interesting things about Shadowlands is how is it going to talk, touch on that? What is it going to do? How is it going to tell us about the life death cycle in Azeroth, which we don't currently have? Um, but it's interesting. Sorry, uh, just had a hard problem swallowing there. It's interesting to think about the fact that there are elders like in various cataclysm zones, like in Deep Home. Yep. Uh, there's two of them in Deep Home. So yeah, uh, that's one of the things I've always been kind of thinking about. There's even the, even there's one in in Vashir, I think, uh, and I think she's like actually an elf. Yep. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I honestly feel like it, it, it's already been kind of established. There are some people who can do that kind of thing. So, sure. The other thing that I was thinking about while you were talking about that, because I forgot that they were in those other zones, uh, is I always also wondered if this was the one day a year that they were sent to spy on the living. <laughs> because going back to like the weird thing where Odin uh, gave a part of his eye to learn how to do the secrets of the Valkyr, uh, you know, but he couldn't see into the Shadowlands. Maybe beings that exist in the Shadowlands can't necessarily see into the land of the living unless there's a, a specific way that they can do it. And maybe sending back these, these ancestors, these spirits that, you know, yeah, sure. I'll report on what's going on. I can, you know, take a look around this specific area and see what's happening and, keep you up to date and we can well, kind of keep tabs on things since it's the lunar festival where this happens that's kind of interesting to think about in terms of we know that there's going to be a story that involves taronda in the arden wield and if, if we're going to suddenly get a connection between loon and the shadowlands that might explain why all these elders are coming back because it's the lunar festival that they're coming back through mm -hmm. it's a festival of the moon and they're all coming back. Maybe they're her spies. Again, and then you start thinking about why does Elune, like, what is her connection to the Shadowlands that she would need spies from the Land of the Dead? Is that where she actually exists? Is Elune, like, li does Elune live in the Shadowlands? Is she part and parcel of the Ardenweald? Is that why she doesn't just show up and do stuff? Maybe because she's not alive? 
Which would be interesting because like there's other things that happen during the Lunar Festival besides just your your ancestors. Like it's the one time of the year that Omen comes back. He's a demigod possessed of a loon's blessing and is immortal. But yet he only appears during the Lunar Festival. And where does he appear? Lake of Lunara. Why? Is there a particular reason that it's during the Lunar Festival that he wakes up? And, you know, Omen is one of two wolf ancients. Mm -hmm. And Goldrin, the other one, had a very acrimonious relationship with the loon. They were not close to the point where he howled in rage at her. Yep. When he would see her in the sky. There's, There's interesting stuff about this, so... But that'll take us to the end for today. I want to thank everybody for listening to us and giving us support. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. I have received a number of thematic suggestions for shows moving forward. Thank you very much for sending those in. Uh, We are probably going to start doing those relatively soon. Uh, And if you want to continue to see us going weekly, we're very, very close to maintaining that goal. Be sure to stop by patreon.com slash blizzard watch and toss some support our way. We appreciate it. And we appreciate that you listen to us. So our final thoughts today, if you were to pick one conflict that you wanted highlighted on the Alliance side, inter inter alliance, what would you want it to be and why? Okay, years ago I wrote a thing for the, the previous site that I called Cult of the Mechanical. And it was about how I thought like Gearmaster Mechazod could come back and try and mechanize the world. They kind of did that with Mechagon. They did. I mean, it wasn't quite the same, but it was still basically that. But I'd like to see the gnomes decide to start flexing. I'd like to see the gnomes step up and be like, we got this. Why don't you guys take it easy for a little bit? We're going to handle this. And, you know, actually start taking more of a leading role. Like, you know, they've tried to, to hide in, in Nomergon. They tried to, like, step back and let other people handle it. But the world just keeps getting worse. Maybe it's time for the Gnomish ingenuity that we keep hearing so much about to get used. And maybe by doing so, they, they kind of make things worse in a way. Or at least... They, they make the conflict hotter. They make it, you know, the Horde is, a, is outraged at something they've done. I, I think that would be kind of interesting. I, you know, if the gnomes... I, I'll just say it. I want the gnomes to punt orcs. I want the gnomes to be the ones kicking Torin butt. I want the gnomes to be the one everybody has to be a little afraid of. Like for years, we've had everybody else get to show their stuff. Let's let the gnomes step up a little bit here. Let's let them do some things. I think it's real funny you picked that one because I was also going to go with gnomes. Part of it is because at the end of uh, the Battle for Dazar lore, you have the gnomes basically getting beat back. You you have the king of all gnomes now getting beat back by the horde and one very, very annoying goblin. I, I don't like him. I'll just flat out say it. I would love to see that indignation righted a little bit. And like, don't get me wrong. I love my Torrin. I love my high mountain. I love my, I love my horde to, to a certain degree, but I'm not a goblin fan. And I think that Gallowix is, I want him to get his comeuppance. We haven't dealt with him at all since then. 
we haven't really done anything with him. He hasn't really done anything. And now that Sylvanas is out of the picture, I want to see the gnomes come back and just kick his green top hat wearing butt all over the place. Have an army of mechs. Have an army of robots and automatons that now he has access to. Let me put put this to you, though. Before before Mechagon, before anything, the gnomes have actually been pretty instrumental in every single mm-hmm. one of these major conflicts. The gnomes are the ones who, like, do you remember when you're doing Siege of Orgrimmar and you come in the basement and the gnomes just come in and freeze and, like, shape change everything? Yep. Just basically clear the room out. And then, like, you know, this Arlor wouldn't have happened without the gnomes. Yep. Like, we, the gnomes took out the Zandalari fleet. I mean, yeah, I, I'm the one, you know, your character puts the bombs in, but it's the gnomes who made the devices that took out the biggest fleet on Azeroth. Those tanks, those airships. How many armors, how many how many pieces of weapon, how many experimental pieces of technology that allowed the Alliance to like get upper hands here or win certain conflicts was caused by the gnomes. And like The reason that the gnomes the the, the Alliance airships aren't flaming death traps. Yep. Like the hordes ones are. Because they have gnomish technology, so they don't have giant sacks of explosives holding them in the air. Like there's, there's a lot to the gnomes that I really would like to see more stuff done with them. Yep, and that's and that's the thing I always said: gnomes are always infinitely more dangerous than goblins can ever be. Goblins are more likely to blow their own stuff up. Gnomes, on the other hand, watch out the rest of the world. Their stuff doesn't blow up unless you blow it up. They tend to blow everything else up around them. But that'll take us through. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us, and we will see you in one week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.